Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Football Outsiders Shots and Tanier live stream and podcast for Thursday, October 13th, 2022. I am Aaron Schatz, Editor-in-Chief of FootballOutsiders.com, joined as always by Mike Tanier, and we are going to preview the games of Week 6 in the NFL. But before, uh, before we do, I want to tell you about our sponsor, which is Underdog Fantasy. Come play Underdog Fantasy with us and double your first deposit up to $100 with the promo code OUTSIDERS. Uh, Get in soon for NBA Best Ball because the NBA season is almost here. Or use their other user-friendly game formats like Battle Royale, a six-round best ball-style draft with simpler chances to win than traditional daily fantasy sports sites. Or... Try their Pick'em games where you can wager on players' chances to go higher or lower than projected stat lines, even in states where traditional prop betting is not currently available. Underdog is the fastest-growing fantasy site around. Join the fun at underdogfantasy.com or download Underdog at your favorite app store. Use the promo code OUTSIDERS now. OUTSIDERS, that's your promo code. That doubles your first deposit up to $100. Yes. Um, We were supposed to have a guest today, and I don't know what happened. So uh, if you were tuning in to see Seth Kaiser of the Athletic Kansas City talk about the Chiefs and the Bills with us, uh, I apologize. Uh, He does not seem to be here. He got knocked over by Devontae. He got knocked over by Devontae, and and they're getting they're getting him checked out, uh, but we think he's going to be okay. Maybe pressing charges. <laughs> he may be pressing charges. Who knows? Who knows? So uh, we'll see if he if he appears. Um, do you mind? Uh, do you want to still do Buffalo Kansas City first, yes, or should yeah. we switch and do the one o'clock games first? Let's uh, let's switch it up. Let's do the one o'clock games first. If we get them, All right. then, yeah. Let's start with one o'clock games before we get to the big four and eight. The biggest games of the week are definitely at four and eight, but there's some good ones at one. And let's start with uh, the shockingly good Jacksonville at Indianapolis game. Shockingly important. Yes. Uh, Believe it or not, this is the biggest game for playoff odds leverage being played on Sunday. Oh, my God. The biggest game for playoff odds leverage is Monday, but this is the second biggest of the week, and that's because somebody from the AFC South has to make the playoffs. (laughs) So Indianapolis is in uh, 37% of our simulations if they win this game and 14% if they lose. Jacksonville is in 61% of the time if they win this game, 34% if they lose. So I went back and I said, what happens to DVOA if we removed the week two huge Jaguars 24 to nothing shutout of the Colts? Okay. How bad would the Colts still be? Oh! I I paused. I'm putting a pause on my discussion of the Colts. Our guest is here. (laughs) You saved us from talking about the Colts. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, someone right. needed to. I'm putting a pin. We're putting a pin in Jacksonville and Indianapolis. Surprisingly important game for Seth Kaiser. I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Of the Athletic Kansas City, who you can find on Twitter at Real MN Chiefs Fan. 
not a Kansas City Chiefs fan. He's in Minnesota, folks. Yeah, they they wouldn't let me stay around. Um, <laughs> no, I I lived in Kansas City for a few years uh, during the Montana era. Got addicted to the Chiefs and then uh, moved back up to the North Dakota Minnesota area, and so that that that's how that's how all that got started. And then it just became a bit that I just decided to run with. Better to be addicted to the Chiefs than the Vikings. Absolutely. That's what my dad said when he let me become a Chiefs fan while we lived down there. He, he, I, I was becoming a Chiefs fan and he basically was like, yeah, I'm going to let this happen. Yeah, there's a lot more happiness in being a Chiefs fan, there uh, is. especially in recent years, than being a Vikings fan. Absolutely. The two were very synonymous for a long time. Things yeah. have changed lately. Uh, so this is the biggest game of the week. So we'll we'll skip our one o'clocks for now. Let's go to Buffalo at Kansas City. This is the biggest game, of course, for Super Bowl odds. And of course, you know, uh, Seth may not agree with it, but our numbers do have Buffalo ahead of Kansas City, both for this year and in our preseason projections. Sure. So we have their odds of making the Super Bowl a lot higher. But Buffalo's odds of, go, of making the Super Bowl go from 46% if they win to 34% if they lose while Kansas City's odds of making the Super Bowl go to 20% if they win this game, but drop to 11% if they lose. Interesting. And, I mean, I, I wouldn't know. I, I specifically chose the career I chose because I don't necessarily understand numbers. They frighten me. But, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, it's, it's interesting to me, the idea there, because the percentages are a little bit higher in terms of the potential change for the Bills, from what I'm hearing. Yeah. That part doesn't surprise me. Um, I, I think um, with the Chiefs, they're so tough to quantify because one week they are just dismantling the Buccaneers. And the next week they are just, you know, they're, you know, or even in one game, they go down 17 nothing to the Raiders. Like, oh, crap, we got to win this game. And then they, <laughs> and then they ridiculously, you know, and then, then they come back and win it all. I just can't tell who they are. They they also frustrate our numbers because historically we found that teams late in games that allow points and shut down their offense with a big lead that that does seem to have some some predictive value, but with the Chiefs it doesn't seem to have any. Like they are like specialists in frustrating my numbers by shutting things down with a lead late in game, the Tampa Bay game being a good example where they let Tampa Bay score a bunch of points in the fourth quarter. Right. And, and yeah, they, they're not, they're a tough team. I, I, I can really understand how tough they must be to predict in terms of the results of certain plays because Andy's notorious for shutting things down a little bit. Once a game is out of reach, he's very protective of his plays. Like he, he you watch them, you know, if you watch the final quarter, even before they pulled people and that kind of stuff, they weren't running anything that they had not shown before. They didn't dress it up differently. They didn't, it's like, you could find this play in week two. And, <laughs> and that's so rare for Andy. And that's such a big part of how they have success is how they dress things up differently. Um, but they also, they're just weird. They're a weird team this year. We kind of knew what would happen coming into the season as their new guys adjust to the offense. And I, I think people, it was hard to know how much of an impact it would have. And it really feels like it's snap by snap even when you see, oh man, Mahomes and MVS are just a little off on their timing. Mm -hmm. And then the next play, they might be perfectly in sync in a way that he really wasn't even with some of his guys last year because MVS is a better receiver than Demarcus Robinson. Although and I, 
I think the Chiefs plays get guys open more than, for example, the, the, the Packers. Sure. The Packers seem to be more like Aaron Rodgers better be in sync with his receivers. Right. Whereas I think the Chiefs are are more like, all right, we'll get the guys open and Mahomes will find. There's, there seems to be less. They seem to be adapting quicker. Yes, they definitely, I mean, Reed has always schemed guys open. That's why you get like, you know, your, your Byron Pringle and Demarcus Robinsons who aren't, you know, terrible players. I'm not trying to besmirch anyone, but you know, they'll end up with four or 500 yards. And on most of those, you're going to get some schemed open stuff going on. And that's where guys like MVS and Juju Smith-Schuster, the idea is, okay, if they're a little bit better than those guys, they'll, they can get schemed open. That works just as well. And then they also can do a little bit plus. Um, one thing I have seen differently with them is you're seeing a little more in terms of leverage throws, uh, in terms of, you know, the receivers sort of open, but he's got the inside leverage, that sort of stuff. Those weren't looks that he really gave very often to to Pringle or to Robinson and still doesn't to Hardman for pretty obvious reasons. He's a small guy. Um, and he would with Hill with varying results because Hill's such a tough receiver, but he's so small. You're seeing a little more of that every week. And I'm curious if they try to wrinkle that in more and more. I do notice that, especially like I remember Pringle. His catch was always over the middle, sort of like right over the Mahomes' face, eight yards down the field with a big hole in the zone because Kelsey cleared it out. Yep. And Hill cleared out the safety. So that's there for him. Whereas, yeah, both Juju and, and MVS, they can be covered tightly. Now, now they're not always catching the ball. But <laughs> no, especially not MVS. Like, one bounce right <laughs> off his chest again this week, but they're still yeah. getting those opportunities in those situations. Right. And that's, it's, it's, it's important for them to keep doing it. And that was the funny thing, you know, MVS had easily his best game as a chief. And of course he punctuated it with that drop because mm-hmm. you were just about to say, cause he had, he had a, a big deep ball the previous yeah. week against the bucks and him, him even getting a few of those, it doesn't even need to be every week, just every other week, what that does to teams schematically or having him hitting Hardman on a couple of deep crossers, what that does to teams schematically, it forces them to continue to, nope, still got to back off, still got to back off. They'll still hit you over the top. And, and that's important. But, yeah, th- those drops, because Juju's had his fair share of those too. Yes. And that's supposed to be his thing is he's a guy with great hands, tough player. He's been tough after the catch, but he's had a few contested drops that they need him to collect. Right. Yeah. All right. I want to talk a little bit about Travis Kelsey, who, of course, had an awesome game, especially for fantasy purposes. I say that as a Travis Kelsey fantasy owner. <laughs> uh, Buffalo is number one against tight ends so far this year. Now, I went back and looked, and the only really good tight end they've played is Mark Andrews. And I'm not sure what I learned, because I actually went back and watched Baltimore against Buffalo. And of course, Buffalo is playing nothing but zone coverage because it's Lamar Jackson. So nobody shut down Mark Andrews, like in particular, like it was a lot of like cornerbacks on him because he'd be split out wide and they'd be in a zone. So the cornerback would be on him. And it wasn't like, it's not like it's the safety and the line, uh, safety Jordan Poyer and the linebacker Matt Milano are shutting down the tight end. So I don't know whether we learn anything about that for this game. I was hoping I was going to learn, oh, my God, Jordan Poyer shut down Mark Andrews. Right. What's he going to do against Kelsey? But I don't, sure. didn't learn that. Well, yeah, because you, you'd think maybe watching it is, okay, is it like the, the Chargers with Derwin James thing? Because yeah. one of the reasons the Chargers have had some success against the Chiefs is Derwin James can cover Kelsey. One of the only players I can see do it. So they don't even fool around with zone with Kelsey a lot of the time. 
they either have someone hitting him and then someone in tight man like a corner, or they say, Derwin, you can cover this guy. No one else can, but you can do it. I think you make a really solid point there in terms of the, the Bills playing a ton of zone defense against Andrews as well as obviously Lamar Jackson. That just doesn't tell you anything about what will happen against Kelsey because generally speaking, and uh, Aikman actually touched on this, it was nice hearing someone say it during the broadcast against the Raiders. It's like, you know, playing man coverage on Kelsey isn't ideal, but zone coverage is a death sentence Um, (laughs) because he won't even run his route. He'll just run to where there's no one there. And him and Mahomes have such a good connection that they both know, oh, there's going to be a gap there. So I don't care what we call, just go to that spot and turn around. And Mahomes can move around, but there isn't the fear of don't put your guys in man and let them turn their backs on Mahomes in the same way there is with Lamar Jackson. So I don't think that they Yep. Yeah. It's definitely a very, very different thing. You know, Mahomes is a very, very, very good scrambler, maybe even a great one, but the gap between a great scrambler even and Lamar Jackson is like, it's a chasm. And so I assume they'll play him differently. And and especially if white plays, the bills have the horses to, to try to man up across the board. I don't think he's back. I don't yet. think so. I don't think so. Okay. Everything I heard, I'm going to triple check right now. Everything I heard out Buffalo was because like, I think we would have heard a lot about it if this was going to be the week he came back. Because right. of the oh well, here's the Tre'Davious White is coming back now. It's perfect yeah. timing. So now, I that, he's not okay. ready to come back at this point. Yeah, I know he was designated to return, but you know, obviously they haven't actually designated him yet. And then just on the flip side, before we even talk about it, uh, and someone just mentioned it, Trent McDuffie. Yeah, he might be back for the Chiefs. Yeah. That's something to really keep an eye on. Who does he replace? Right now, the top three cornerbacks are Sneed, Fenton, and the rookie, Jalen Watson. Who becomes the fourth cornerback when McDuffie comes back? Is it Watson? In previous years, I would have said Watson. Absolutely no hesitation. But Rashad Fenton has not been as good this year as he's been in previous years. And, And some of that is I think he's been... He's, he's been asked to play a little more just pure man coverage along the outside. And that's not his game. Fenton's a good zone corner, um, but he he doesn't have tremendously quick feet or acceleration. And so, I mean, we he's just, he's been put in a bad spot a few times that, that just don't suit him. Whereas Jalen Watson, he's not particularly quick either, but he's so much bigger, so much more physical that him being a little grabby, it just, it changes things a lot more. And I, I think he's played better than Fenton so far this year. Spags does not like playing rookies, but like this year, he's got rookies all over the place. So I don't know what to think. Um, Fenton does the way I like the way Bill Houston phrases here. Fenton does have value, especially in zone looks, but he has been at a a notch below where he's been at previous. He's been a competent corner previous years, not a star. If I were him and I mean, you'd have a third year and two rookies, but I would, I would have it be McDuffie, Sneed, Watson. I was going to say, I actually looked up numbers because I was curious where the weaknesses were in the Kansas City defense. And according to our friends at Sports Info Solutions, Fenton has given up 12.6 yards per target so far this year. It's early. He's got to be, was he Was he the one when Adams caught the fourth and one? like that? Because like one or two plays like that could be it. I don't recall who that was, but... It was it was him over the top um, on that fourth and one, yeah. Which, okay. to be fair, you know, um, I want to say it was Reed bit really hard on play action. It was a great play call because it was fourth yeah. and one, and so he didn't have help. I think he thought he'd have help, but he got roasted too. I mean, yeah. that was that was bad. And then his pass interference down the right side 
was a result of getting roasted. Watson, just because it's back-to-back plays, a couple plays later, his pass interference on the left side against Adams, that was a lot better coverage and a lot more of a 50-50 call than the one against Fenton, which would get called right. every time. One thing you have to look out for in this game, in the I don't think the Chiefs are explosive as they were with Tyreek. I don't no. think that that's and, – and if you look at 40-yard-plus pass plays, I believe the Chiefs only have two 40-plus-yard pass plays this season. Yeah. The Bills have six. Buffalo Bills have six. So you you want you don't want to get into that sort of foot race situation against this right. team. Being and by the way, it is two 40 yard plus plays. So having all your horses back in cornerback should help for the Chiefs. Definitely. Um they that those 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 big broken plays to to Gabe Davis. I mean, that's how they gave up three of their touchdowns in that yes. divisional round game. And Allen played out of his mind, make no mistake. But Davis was just open. You just had safeties that were gone or a cornerback that had fallen down or a cornerback that had run into another cornerback. That one was particularly <laughs> hilarious. Well, it's not like Davis had a big game last week. We have to worry about him at all. Yeah. Was, yeah. Thank goodness. Worry about. Not like a 98 yard <laughs> touchdown. It, I, it's sort of, uh, it's funny, but I mean, I think, I think the defenses are being a little underplayed here. I know the offenses are so good and these teams are top two in scoring, but the Chiefs defense has been average this year and the Bills defense is number two mm-hmm. in our numbers. So, um, I mean, I, I actually, our, our over-under formula likes the under in this game. Like, even Ooh. though it seems like, oh, you know, these teams are going to, well, I mean, the number is huge. It's 54. That's like really high. That's a big number. Yeah. Um, I think there's there there's a good point in that. So much of it depends not just on the defense overall against the offense, but it's going to be specific matchups. When the Chiefs offensive line has struggled in pass protection, and they have a few times this year, they haven't always seemed to have an answer for it because I think they came into this whole year and formulated their entire offense around our O-line is going to be a strength. And so it's taken them some time, albeit it happened faster against the Raiders than it did against the Colts, to adjust when wow, we're getting whooped up front and we need to adjust our game plan. Now, again, they adjusted faster against the the Raiders and I assume they're going to go into the Bills game thinking Orlando Brown probably can't block Von Miller. Yeah, the Bills have, the Bills not only have good pass rushers, they have a deep pass rush so they can rotate guys, keep rotating guys in. Yep. And, you know, Brown Miller in particular is a tough, tough matchup for the Chiefs because Miller, um, he, he matches up better against their other guys guys that are a little more power, a little more combo, might try to beat you going through you or inside. That that Brown is, he's just a man mountain. Um, but he has gotten destroyed by some speed rushes this year, even more so than last year. He hasn't played as well as he did last year. And that, that'll that be a really determining factor And then how the Chiefs adjust to that. Um, and then the same, you know, in terms of pressure on the other side, Spagnolo has had mixed results against Josh Allen. Um, last year, you know, again, the divisional round game, he made some huge throws, but he also had multiple plays where the blitz surprised him, where he had to throw it away or he, he got rushed out of the pocket and then he would make some incredible play with his legs because Josh Allen's unbelievable, but that that's going to be a big one too, because the first few times Spags and Allen matched up Spags by far got the better end of it. And, and last year it was much more give and take with mostly Josh Allen taking (laughs) <laughs> and so that's going to be a big aspect of it too. Willie Gay Jr. being out for the Chiefs is a big deal, especially in the middle of the field. Yep, I was going to ask about that. And uh, Bill Houston mentions it. The Harris is the name of the uh, linebacker who's replacing yep. him, I guess, in the lineup. And it's much more of a run stuffer. 
in the Bills, I mean, the Bills running game has been really bad this year. Kansas City has actually been above average against the run this year, which is rare. And the Bills are 30th in run DVOA. Hmm. I I can't picture the Bills um, formulating much of a game plan around the run game. No, I don't think they're going to. Yeah. Uh, if they're going to use Singletary, it's going to be as a pass catcher because the way the Chiefs play defense kind of opens things up for a lot of dump-offs to running backs. Yep, especially with Gay not being in there because of his sideline-to-sideline side speed. He's able to arrive. You know, Austin Eckler had some big plays against the Chiefs, but a couple of them were because Gay was right there, and Eckler is just a tough tackle. I mean, he's such a good player in the open field. And so with Gay out, they just don't have a sideline-to-sideline side guy who can keep up with running backs. Nick Bolton is a good player, but he's a specific player. He's not a sprint down the sideline kind of guy. Um, so uh, you've got a prop, Mike, on I this one. Let me pull my prop up here. And this is from DraftKings. And as you might imagine, there's going to be a lot of uh, bet on mayhem bets uh, <laughs> in this game. So here's one. Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, 600 passing yards and seven plus passing touchdowns combined at plus 450. So again, that's 600 plus passing yards, seven plus passing touchdowns combined. Well within range for these two individuals. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm the, I'm the Scrooge on this one with my okay. go under 54 idea. Obviously, it will be more fun if it does not go under 54. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> I, you know, the, the seven, if it were seven touchdowns, I'd say go for that because yeah. I think one of them or both of them will run for a touchdown. Right. It's, and that's, I'm sure that's why they didn't offer it because it makes it a much easier bet. Mm -hmm. um, the 600 yards, I, I think they surpass um, unless, unless the Bills pass rush dominates the Chiefs O-line. I think they both surpass it. And honestly, even if they do, Mahomes is Mahomes. Unless his guys are dropping the ball, he's still probably going to put up 300-plus yards in any form of shootout. Um, it just doesn't matter uh, as right. long as guys are catching the ball. And these um, teams don't feel the need to run. They, I mean, right. Andy right. Reid, like, despite having a strong pass-run ratio, always – kind of feels the need to like throw a few runs in there but for the most part this is going to be a pass day absolutely we've seen a few we've seen a few changes from reed this year in spurts where they'll run the ball a little more you know against tampa bay they really they they had some some mean intentions and they actually against the raiders one way they started getting the ball getting it going again was was a few nice runs yeah. it's what their offensive line is better at the interior is great at both the 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 tackles are better at run blocking um but it's just, that's just not Andy Reid. And I the Bills' defense isn't really one to test that out against. They're an excellent run defense. They control the line of scrimmage well. Um, but that's just never going to be who Andy Reid is. It's just no. not. They could have prime Jamal Charles back there with Tony <laughs> Richardson blocking for him, and they still wouldn't line up like that. Um, that that's just not how, that's not how he does it. Yeah. Is Trey Smith healthy? Because you just talked about the interior offensive line, sure. right? He missed uh, last week, I think. He 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 practiced in full yesterday. I haven't seen anything from from today. Wednesday is big um, for Reed, and then Friday, like any other team. But I yeah. mean, so he did. He he was a full participant in yesterday's practice. Um, he, he's a tough guy. They're planning on him playing at this point. You know, it's tough with the with the pectoral stuff because you want to make sure. Okay, is this something that could get worse? Because 
The Chiefs Super Bowl isn't this week. They got pounded by the Bills last year in the regular season, and down the stretch, it didn't matter that much. And they should have a good understanding of that. And in some ways, that's where the Chiefs are playing with a little more house money than the Bills because they know they can bounce back from that. Whereas the Chiefs have ended the Bills season a few times now. They're a little more the boogeyman for them. So I don't think they'll play him unless they're sure. But as of right now, he's set the play. And that makes I'm, sense. I'm trying to remember. I'm forgetting. The game last year was in Kansas City or in yes. Buffalo, the playoff game? Yep. Playoff they, game. Was, they were both in Kansas City. So Buffalo is probably thinking, we need to win this one. We need to get the home field advantage. We need to have Kansas City come to our building in January. I think so, especially after what they witnessed last on Monday Night Football. I, you know, I would not want to play an arrowhead after seeing them bully Sheffers like that. (laughs) (laughs) That was amazing. (laughs) I've never seen it. I've never seen anything like that. Yeah, Buffalo has uh, extra reason besides just weather and home cooking to uh, want this (laughs) game to be in Buffalo in January. Yeah. The last thing you want is like the NFL to send Sheffers there again. (laughs) And I I hope they don't. I don't like the way he referees Chiefs games. But I mean... Mm. I, I have never seen anything like that before. Uh, a ref's voice shaking when he's just, no, guys, there's, there's not a penalty here. We're good. We're good. Let's all. <laughs> yeah, the Raiders ended up with 13 penalties in that game to mm-hmm. five for the Chiefs. That, that, that sounds about right to me. I mean, yeah. based on what I saw, it sounds like a well-officiated game. I, <laughs> I, I mean, the Chiefs one meant more because two of them were pass interference and one of them was that, I mean, not ridiculous roughing the passer. That roughing the passer that made sense by the rule, which is a ridiculous rule, roughing right. the passer. Right. When it was such a game swinging moment um, that it really was like you—you you knew the refs were probably going to give them some makeup calls, and yeah. they did. They did. Um, they and did. then some they of the calls they—they they, some of the calls they made were pretty correct. It, I I keep uh, I've I've got a lot of Raiders fans, not as many now. A couple days later in the week. That were in my mentions talking about that defensive hold being uh, on the on the field goal, which I mean looked like a great call to me, honestly. But uh, I, I to me, I, I just keep showing them. Look, Chris Jones got blatantly held on the Raiders' final drive mm-hmm. in what would have been a a, a drive killing sack. Um, and, and so just relax, everyone, calm down. That it was just a very poorly officiated game. But it did. That second half swung things in the Chiefs' favor. And I actually have a running theory that all those things we can't quantify, and we can't, you know, on over multiple games in terms of, like, momentum and attitude and all this stuff that maybe it matters, maybe it doesn't. I think that might have been one game where it did a little because the Chiefs were, like, sleepwalking. And mm-hmm. the the value of angry energy seemed <laughs> to... It, it at least did something there. It was one of the It was one of the most bizarre games I've ever seen. So, of course, it was against the Raiders. <laughs> uh, one more question for you from Bill Houston. Uh, prognosis on Lucas Nyang coming back and replacing Wiley as the swing tackle. Wiley's, Wiley's playing right tackle now. Is he starting at right, yep, right tackle? Yep, now? yep. He's been starting there all season. Um, he, I think he was on track. Well, So Nyang is still recovering from an injury from last year. Nyang has struggled with injuries consistently. And unfortunately for him, when he's been on the field, while he shows the traits that got him drafted high, he moves very well for a guy his size. His bounce, though, has been problematic. And he just fights lingering injury after lingering injury. I think if Nyang, even if Nyang got healthy, I know the Chiefs like Wiley. 
when they recognize he is what he is. He's an average offensive lineman, which means you're going to have ups and downs. But when you say the term average offensive lineman, that might sound like an insult, but it's not. It's a compliment. There are very few teams in the NFL that have an average offensive lineman at every spot. Right. Um, And so I I don't think that he'll replace him. And honestly, I haven't heard anything about Niang, any indication that he is going to be healthy enough to come back anytime soon. Hmm. All right. So um, the Bills are favored now by two and a half. I'm going to guess you would pick the Chiefs, but how confident are you in this one? I would, uh, I would pick the Chiefs, not confidently. Um, we we've seen the the Bills boat race them before in the regular season. Not that that really has that much of an impact, but in terms of confidence, it does. I, I think the matchup there, that pass rush against the Chiefs' offensive line, as it's playing right now especially the tackles. I I think Orlando Brown is still a little bit nicked up. He's had a knee issue. And when you already don't have a lot of mobility to spare, that's problematic. I think that's a really tough matchup. And that's the reason they got Von Miller. Like he was the, they might as well have stamped. This is for Patrick Mahomes on the forehead (laughs) when they signed him. Like they, they saw what happened last year and they said, okay, it's not enough for us to score a zillion points. It's not enough for us to play really well defensively. We need to be able to constantly harass him so right. please go give Von Miller whatever he wants. Good move. And, yeah. and I'm curious what that looks like. Um, I'm actually going to be there at the game live. So I'm hoping it looks like nothing they're hoping it looks like. Can I just say, by the way, I keep thinking that this game is tonight's game. God, oh. wouldn't that be awesome? And as soon as I remember it's not, I get really disappointed and sad. So I've been um, having a little journey here on a rainy day in Philadelphia. I was like, oh, I get Bill's Chiefs to – no, I get the one. Well, I'm sure the game that's scheduled for tonight will be. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, everything you say is true. I'm taking Bills, taking Bills with a degree of confidence if it's only laying two and a half. And you're right, Aaron, that that, that over at 54.5, that's too rich for my blood. I'm probably just going to skip it, although I would probably, I don't know if I'd lean under, just going to avoid it. Yeah, I would take the Bills with this line, but not with confidence. I, I would not want to. That I I would I feel like it's really a close to a toss up. The Bills are favored slightly, maybe, but like yeah, I wouldn't right. want to have a lot of money riding on it because it could go a lot of ways. Yep, yep, yeah. and that's it's just going to depend on a few very specific matchups. I think um, how the entire tenor of the game goes, and so I, I'm excited for it though. It, it'll be fun to watch if nothing else. Well, it'll be fun to go to. <laughs> that's true. So. I, you know, apparently it's supposed to be like 65 and sunny. Um, it snowed here this morning a little bit. So, um, so I, I'm excited. I'm going to eat my, uh, my weight and barbecue and, uh, hopefully still have enough energy to yell. Awesome, man. (laughs) All right. Seth Kaiser, thank you for joining us from the athletic Kansas city. And he's also just an amazing follow. If you are interested in the chiefs or you just, I mean, the Chiefs are one of the top teams in the league, so you should be interested in the Chiefs. <laughs> at Real MN Chiefs fan on Twitter. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. All right, let's get back to the rest of the games. First of all, Chris Bork has a fantasy question about starting Brian Robinson against the Bears and whether he should start him over Terry McLaurin or James Robinson. Now, I don't know the answer to that. But first of all, I'm going to suggest the fantasy projections at FO Plus to tell you what our what our projection is. And second, 
I think I'm not ready to start Brian Robinson until I see him carry the full load. And he had a lot of carries last week, but he didn't have a lot of snaps. Like I'd want to see him have more snaps in a game before I'm ready to play him, even though as we're about to discuss, the Indianapolis run defense is actually pretty good this year. So Robinson may not be the best play. Right, and they're rotating. Robinson may not be the best play. They're rotating those guys and trying to get ETN more involved. Robinson's getting a lot of the short yardage stuff. That is true. Yeah. How often will the Commanders get to the goal line? I don't know. We all see that Carson Wentz is now on the injury report with a whatever. So that yeah. means McLaurin might not be the best play, and they have not connected very well. Uh, so I, I don't have a good answer for you, Chris. I would suggest looking to the. Uh, Looking to our yeah, I think ball. I think I would still go James Robinson because I feel like the touchdown chances are higher. But uh, uh, see what our projections say, and then you'll you'll figure it out. So, so back to Jacksonville at Indianapolis, which we were discussing before Seth appeared. Yes, uh, which is a surprisingly important game. Yes. So I had said when I went is I went and looked at what would things look like if we took out that twenty-four nothing Jaguars win. The Colts would still be the worst offense in the league. Wow, really? Without the shutout? Both of their units would be better. And overall, they would improve to 29th in DVOA instead of 32nd. But even if you take out the 24 to nothing, they're the worst offense in the league and they're 29th overall. And the Jaguars would drop. And instead of being seventh, the Jaguars would be an average team. But the Jaguars would still... In their other four games, the Jaguars have very much outplayed the Colts in the Colts' other four games. The Colts are 0-2-1 right now in division. 0-3-1 with a sweep at the Jaguars. That is kind of like sayonara time for the division. Sayonara time for the division probably means sayonara for a playoff berth in the AFC South along the way. I don't want to think too hard about how a team can lose a shutout that represents 25% of their play and still – like their offense doesn't get better enough to reach 31st in the league. That's terrifying. Yeah, that is. It's, I mean, they have been the worst offense, both running and passing. And a big part is the offensive line is really declined this year. I went and looked at the ESPN win rates. Mm-hmm. Jacksonville is number two right now mm-hmm. in pass rush win rate. Okay. Indianapolis is 31st in pass block win rate. 35th. I get it. Uh, and not only are they, uh, Losing one-on-one, they're getting blitzed a lot. So I pulled this up earlier from Sports Info Solutions. Matt Ryan has been blitzed 60 times. That's five-plus pass rushers, okay? Josh Allen is the only quarterback who's been blitzed more. I don't understand that logic. Let's just yeah, let's okay. off that to the side. So Matt Ryan is blitzed as much as pretty much any quarterback in the NFL. He's been sacked 10 times from the blitz. That's the league high in sacks from blitzes. Two interceptions. I have no idea how many fumbles. And he's only averaging 6.2 yards per attempt. So he's not making anyone pay by any stretch of the imagination. They're blitzing with impunity against the Colts. And the Colts can't block and Ryan can't escape. (laughs) All right. The the more I'm looking at numbers, I'll I'll say, the more I'm telling Chris Bork, actually, he should start Brian Robinson over James Robinson. The Jaguars only had 2.6 yards per carry in the first game between these two teams. Even though they won 24-0, they still only averaged 2.6 yards per carry. Okay. Bill, Bill Houston wants to know if there's going to be a squash the beef segment with you and Derek Klassen regarding whether Matt Ryan is toast because <laughs> it seems the results are in. I do think we have to wait for a little later into the season in case Ryan bounces back a little bit, but yeah, uh, Mike is winning that one right now. 
Yeah, we're still waiting on like Maricopa County or whatever, but like most of the results are in. Maybe too early to call for CNN and MSNBC, but it's looking kind of like I got the win here. But remember, Derek and I have a wager, and the wager is not whether or not Ryan is toast, because I believe Ryan can still bounce back to some degree if the blocking improves, et cetera, et cetera. The wager is who will have the better record, the Colts or the Steelers. Now, I'm not feeling great about that. (laughs) <laughs> about that particular yeah game. the Colts have sort of snuck a couple of wins here even though they suck and the Steelers have not they have not and the Steelers have the Buccaneers this week and we'll talk about that a tiny bit a little bit later but um it, you know it, it only goes to show you it's not just about who's toast and who's not toast it's sort of like the entire team along the way and the reason why I advocated for these the Colts to take Trubisky not Matt Ryan is because Trubisky was cheap and disposable and they probably would have doubled down and grabbed, well, they couldn't have grabbed Pickett, but they could have grabbed Ritter or Willis, and they could be looking at their rebuild right now instead of what they're looking at right now. So it's Colts minus one and a half with a total of 42. What's our what's our simulation say about over under on that? I'm guessing it leans slightly over. Oh, I hate Very this. slightly. Like, don't bet it. Don't bet it. Don't bet it. Like, and, and there's so many AFC South games right now. I'm so sick of AFC South games already. I'm glad. Well, I'm, so, I'm really strongly feel strongly about Jaguars plus one and a half. I'm going to go the other way. I feel like the Colts only have to get their act together a little bit to kind of reassert themselves. The Jaguars have been fading over the last couple of weeks. That's true. That's yeah. true. A little bit of the helium's coming out of that. So I, I, as much as I'm a skeptic about the Colts, I'd lean the Colts this time. All right, another big one o'clock game, surprisingly important. Uh, New England at Cleveland. <laughs> uh, this is the game that's going to be all running. Yes. Uh, the Browns are number one in run DVOA. The Patriots are only 11th, but they're third in adjusted line yards because they get steady gains, not long ones. Mm-hmm. The Patriots' run defense is 28th. Mm-hmm. The Browns' run defense is 32nd. It's Run, don't walk to play all your Browns and Patriots running backs. Yes, whoever's healthy, because it's, it's Ramondre Stevenson and, right. and it's going to be Ramondre Stevenson and Pierre Strong. Probably. Pierre Strong, a lot of Ramondre there. But yeah, the Browns' run defense allows 5.0 yards per rush on first down, but their run defense allows 6.0 yards on second down, and then they allow 5.1 yards on third down. So if you run twice, you're probably going to get 10 yards on the first down against the Browns. And here's a weird split. The Patriots are 19th in DVOA running on first down. Okay. But they're first on second down. So what you just said about the Browns giving up more yards per carry on second down, mm-hmm. like I don't know what it is about second down. You know, it has to do with how many yards there are to go and the sort of what are the pass and run options. But the Patriots are really good at running on second down so far this year. And that's usually a sign of being ahead of schedule. Okay, you're staying ahead of schedule. I think they have been, especially with the Zappy era. They've been mixing enough runs, short passes that Zappy can execute. So they were they were ahead of the sticks really consistently, I think, against the Lions. And on the Brown side of that, it's like, well, I think the Browns' defense is, is predicated on, oh, good, it's third and ten. Now we can unleash Garrett now he's healthy again. Unleash Clowney, who I think is healthy again. But you can't get to that because you're when you're when it's neutral and the and the full playbook is open, you're not playing good defense. Yeah. The other question is, when the Browns do decide to pass, will Patriots get any pass rush on them at all? They're 30th in pass rush win rate, and Cleveland's offensive line is number one pass blocking. Really? 
I guess I'm just watching Judon single-handedly then. Yes, Judon has sacks, but they're not bringing a lot of pressure otherwise. They did on Goff. They didn't in the first four games. They definitely brought more pressure last week than they did the first four games. Like Goff was, you you know the way Goff is. If you get him off schedule, it's like easy pick. Oh, he he was going completely off off kilter uh, later in that game after a couple of hits. That was clear. And I believe there's a Denzel Ward injury. For the Cleveland Browns and uh, check on that. So I'm not just completely like off my rocker right now that I saw Denzel Ward on the injury report. I will check simultaneously. He's in concussion protocol. He is in concussion protocol. So that's a very good chance to without him. Now on the one hand, you're like, Oh, well, it's Nelson Aguilar. It's not Nelson Aguilar. It's probably Devonte Parker. And a lot of mileage got gotten by Zappi out of just the heave ho. Yeah. Parker, who I think there were a couple of big flags on those plays where he got a couple of pass interferences. I think they were both against Devontae Parker. Parker is definitely the receiver that the opponents treat as the one. Yes. Like they had a coot when Okuda was still healthy early in the game, like Okuda was covering Parker completely. Right. Cause he's got the talent. He's got the skill set of a one. So you have to treat him like a one despite years of inconsistency. And and that's what they're going to do. Zappi's just going to launch it up the left sideline now. And then you want to make sure that there's somebody there who can, who can cover Parker and won't get a flag for it. So uh, the line is Browns minus two and a half with a total of 43. I, I like the Zap Brannigan experience. I mean, I, I mean, not long-term, obviously. But I don't know, because of the terrible Browns run defense, because of the ability, you know, seeing Jack Jones make play after play right now, see how good Dugar's playing for the Patriots against uh, the Brissett experience. I'm leaning Patriots in this, and I would probably head in the direction of a plus 120 money line to take them straight up. So I'm just looking necessarily to straight yeah, up. Yeah, two and a half is a kind of like the money it's line like, makes more sense. than The same yeah. goes with the Jaguars-Colts game, by the way. Yeah, the yeah. Although there's almost nothing on the money line either. So I'm, um, leaning, I'm leaning Patriots. Yeah, the FO picks are, have the Browns a little bit. I, okay. You know, I'm trying not to lean Patriots just because I'm a Patriots fan, and these are the games that they can win. Yeah, like before the schedule gets really tough later, in and the that's season. kind of it. That's these are the games they win. Now I know it's not the same coaching staff, or you know, if it was McDaniel's coaching, I'd be like, oh, they're, they're going to just come up with some game plan and just steamroll them. But even with these guys, this is the game that the Patriots tend to win. All right, uh, let's talk a little bit about Baltimore and the New York Giants. Um, Baltimore is third in DVOA, and the Giants, despite being four and one, are eighteenth. That's not including the preseason projection where I was wrong. They're not the worst team in the league. <laughs> yeah, so many of us are wrong. Even if you only look at what they've done in five games this season, they're only 18. Right. Um, they are the worst defense in the league on first down. Huh. The Ravens have the number two offense in the league on first down. The one thing that's bad is that Baltimore has not been good against the run this year. Right. And the Giants, of course, have been good. Barkley has a low success rate, but he's got lots of those big, long runs. And Daniel Jones has got a lot of value on the ground. Yes. Yeah. And and one thing the Giants have done a very good job of during this run is staying in every game. Because when your main thing is that you can run the ball, and kind of like with Barkley, it's a lot of running between the tackles, you better stay in the game. You better not go down by two scores. I don't know if they've got it in them this particular time because it's just what you described. They should, they should be facing an offense that should be able to, to, to be able to take a commanding lead. Just the, Ravens, the Ravens thing has been taking commanding leads and then blowing and then, them. Right. But 
So I don't see what, what happens Waddle? if they take a commanding lead and take the run away from the Giants. Will the Giants come back on that? Yeah, I don't see Jalen Waddle. I don't see Tyreek Hill. I don't see, you know, Stefan Diggs. I don't see the guys who can do that if that if there's a comeback situation. By the way, I was chatting with somebody on Twitter. You ran that list of worst four and one teams. Yes, I saw that. I was out to dinner and did not get to participate in the conversation. Right. And and, and somebody was pointing out, well, a lot of these bad four and one teams make the playoffs. Well, because they like, started four and one. Yeah, because they started four and one. I think our <laughs> odds right now are at 43% for the Giants to make the playoffs entering this game without even looking at it. But it's like, yes, that's it. If they go five and six the rest of the way or five, you know, six and six the rest of the way now, they're a winning team and they're probably a playoff team. And that's kind of what DVOA is pointing out. Yeah. Um, a couple of those teams on that list did dramatically improve. Yes. Like the 98 Falcons started yes. slow, what, stumbled into some close wins, and then turned on the afterburners and were really good over the second half of the season and made it to the Super Bowl. And that would be the the one team you would look at. Like, you know, Chris Chandler was their quarterback, and they were relying yeah. on Jamal Anderson. That would be like your dream scenario for the Giants. For the Giants, yeah. But it happened once. Uh, Ravens minus six and 45 i would probably sit on the ravens there yeah me too yeah 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 me too ravens i i like the ravens minus six i don't think i'd play the total but i like the ravens minus six no this looks like a course correction game yeah uh dallas at philadelphia almost as big for super bowl odds as buffalo and kansas city Woo! Dallas makes the Super Bowl in 16% of our Sims if they win, 8% if they lose. Philadelphia, 40% if they win, 28% if they lose. That is the power still of Philadelphia being better in our projections, yes. better this season, and the yes. easier schedule. Easier schedule and, a win, and a win to give in the division where they're, they're the undefeated team. Right. And uh, You know, uh, Derek just did a great thing on the Cowboys pass rush. And it all begins and ends kind of like with the Cowboys pass rush. What's going to what's going to be the the chess match there? Will the Eagles try to block this straight up, or is it going to be a lot of screen draw option game to try and neutralize the fact that you know they should they should be able to get some rush on? The thing like, is, yeah, both of these defenses are good rushing the passer. Yes, the Eagles' offensive line has been much better this season than the Dallas offensive line. That's true. That's true. But the Cowboys. So, Pass rush is a, like a, I mean, is it different with win rate? Because in like most stats, the Cowboys no the Cowboys the Cowboys and Eagles are both in the top six for both That's pass that. rush win rate and pressure rate. Mm -hmm. But the Eagles are seventh in pass block win rate, and the Cowboys are dead last. Ah. And that's the thing. And the Cowboys have gotten a lot of mileage out of playing with a lead consistently. Yeah. Okay. They play for a lead most of the time against the Rams. They were in the lead like a Really, I think predominantly against the Bengals in most of those victories. Eagles have been playing with the lead a lot too, but when you're trying to protect your backup quarterback and you're trying to hide the fact that you aren't blocking particularly well, the idea that you can go three and out because you've got some win probability to spare is a big deal for, for you. Uh, I will say that the Eagles are really superb against wide receivers so far this year. They are number one against wide receiver one and number two against wide receiver two. Wow. Wow. Slay and Bradbury. Um, Slay and side. Bradbury are a good combination. Right. Um, I went and looked about running quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. uh, Dallas uh, has been poor against running quarterbacks this year. 
but that's almost all Daniel Jones in week three. It's almost all okay. scrambles. So I don't know if that tells you anything about Jalen Hurts. And last year they only played Jalen Hurts once because that week 18 game they played Minshew because the game that's didn't right. That's right. Uh, other thing I'll point out is that the Cowboys do have a large special teams advantage in this game based on how these teams have played so far. Interesting. I haven't perceived the Cowboys as having outstanding special teams. The Eagles have been they're actually they're actually fifth in special teams this year. Excellent, excellent. The Eagles had some trouble at the return game. Yeah. They seem to have replaced Jalen Rager with other Rager, and of course they've been dickering with a variety of different kickers. Right, so they had the backup kicker. A lot of teams have. It's like a really weird year for, like there's been a lot of kicker injuries. It's a, been a great year to be Matt Amendola because you can just go from town to town with a bindle sack on your back and go and miss a couple field goals for a team and then go to the, get, get your next job. Uh, but uh, the young man, Cameron Dicker, obviously the game winner last week. I don't know what the situation is right now, kicker. So I, I, I feel a little bit like the way you feel about Baltimore and the Giants. Like I feel a little bit like this may be the game where the Cooper Rush thing gets exposed. That right. it's all short, short stuff and playing with a lead. Like, I mean, not all. Like he's made yeah. some good passes like to Noah Brown and stuff. But that this is where it's a more competitive game. The pass rush, the Eagles have a heavy pass rush. They have good cornerbacks. Mm-hmm. He's going to try to. He's going to end up dumping it off to running backs a lot for small gains. Like right. I feel like this is this. This may be the. Oh yeah, it turns out we do need Dak Prescott back. And and I think we, they were getting there in the Rams game. They were getting there in the Rams game because Rush was not playing particularly well. Then they get like a sixty-yard run, and then Stafford starts making mistakes because of the pass rush. So if the Eagles are balanced, which they've proven they can be with a running game. If they're working their screen game, which they worked way too much of their screen game against the Cardinals, frankly, but that's one of the things you can do against them. And they start getting little, so it's 10 nothing, 10 3, 13 3 Eagles. Rush has got to throw. We're going to see the reality. We saw the reality of Geno Smith, and oh my God, he's still doing well. But I don't think we're- the Geno Smith thing is <laughs> that's a completely different subject, but it's right. because because Geno Smith, I wrote about this for ESPN for tomorrow. Everything you think about Cooper Rush is not true of Geno Smith. Yes. He is not throwing a lot of short stuff. Right. He's not throwing screens. Right. He's just as good when they don't use play action, and he's not playing from ahead a lot. Right. He's not playing from ahead a lot. All your usual backup quarterback crutches, Geno Smith is not using them. That's it. And he is getting pressured a reasonable amount, and he's moving around and making plays under pressure. And Because I was, like, watching the – Last week's game, like, ah, oh, this is going to see it. And just these teardrops into the end zone. I'm like, what is, what am I Who watching? Who is this person? Like, it's crazy. So, I mean, I know Q- Cooper Rush, ESPN's QBR has him really high and DVOA has him pretty good. But I don't feel, put it this way, I'm, I'm I wouldn't say I'm confident that Geno Smith is for real. Right. But I will say I am much less skeptical about Geno Smith at this point especially after last week and some of those deep throws than I am about Cooper Rush and what Cooper Rush is going to do in this game. So the the line is Eagles minus six, and and I like Eagles minus six. I'm not touching it. Too much bet with my heart, bet with my head. If this was a neutral game, I I don't know if I'd touch it if it was a neutral game because the Cowboys, that that front four can be an equalizer, can lure you into a close game. You mentioned the special team situation, so if you're trying to uh, cover a spread and you get a missed field goal, missed extra point in there, would lean the Eagles for the win, though. 
All right, let's briefly hit on Monday because we're almost uh, at That's, an hour. Yes, yes. But Denver at the Chargers is, oh. in fact, the most important game of the week for playoff odds. Okay. Denver, 46% with a win, 19% with a loss. Chargers, 80% with a win, 53% with a loss. Uh, well, interesting, the Chargers defense is really good against wide receiver ones, but weak against everyone else. Okay. Uh, wide receiver two, sorry. It should be wide receiver oh. two that they're first against. That's uh, almost like residual thing. Yeah, it's sort of weird, right? Jackson, and the other yeah. I'm looking forward to is Patrick Sertain versus Mike Williams. And not that look. I'm looking forward to it as a football fan, not as a Mike Williams fantasy owner, but as a football fan, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Um, also, the Broncos' strong pass rush, although Gregory's on IR. Yeah. Against um, the Chargers, where this guy, they've got the sixth-round rookie named Jamari Salier. 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 He's playing Really well in place of Rashawn Slater. Surprise! Like I interviewed surprise. the kid at the combine. He was he was my combine. You have to interview a guy so that you get access to the interview uh, thing. And then the link never worked. I didn't get access to the other interviews. But I did the interview with Salier. Nice kid. Went back and watched his film afterwards because it's like, well, I just interviewed the kid. And it's like, oh yeah, he's going to be a pretty good guard in the NFL. Yeah. He's a left tackle. He's, he's playing left tackle well. and he's playing very well. Right. Right. I have no sense of who the Chargers are at this point. It looks like their running run defense has turned back into a pumpkin recently. Um, their offense, and, and I understand why it's so dink and dunk oriented. People are like, oh, why aren't, haven't you like unleashed Justin Herbert? To whom? Okay, Williams is going to be your boundary um, guy. Guy, well, Guyton's injured. Guyton's yeah. hurt, they, right? They so it's like guy. maybe that's because we've been talking about the whole Panthers. Uh, should the Panthers have a fair sale? Maybe that's where Robbie Anderson should go. That'd be fun. Robbie that, Anderson to stretch the field for the Chargers. Just put him in the slot, run vertical, run vertical, run vertical. If Allen gets back healthy at any point, you got the underneath. And then Williams is going to get more single coverage, 50-50 opportunities, can play the comeback game. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's hard to get any sense of that team, hard to get any sense of the Broncos right now because we're trapped in that offense. And That red zone offense, yeah. uh, in case you didn't see Brian Knoll's uh, article today, if the season ended now, they would have the second worst red zone offense ever. Who's first? Uh, the Phoenix Cardinals of, I think, 1993. That sounds Buddy Ryan-esque. <laughs> I've got to go read the, the worst red zone offenses is a lot of Phoenix Cardinals teams and a lot of St. Louis Rams from like five, uh, like uh, 2009, 2010. The Spags. The, the, like when it was like Austin Davis and stuff. <laughs> You got to read Brian, Brian Noodles' column. Check it out. I'm going to be checking it out soon. Uh, but the Chargers are also bad in the red zone. They're 25th in red zone offense. My goodness. So uh, expect some field goals in this game. <laughs> That's it's it. That would be my prop, the over-unders on field goals. Chargers minus four and a half. Uh, sure. Sure. I'll take the Chargers minus four and a half in that game. until well, It's actually down to five. Minus five for the Chargers. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing we're looking at under for 45. Over forty-five point five. I'm not touching that, but I'll, I'll go. With, I'll go with the. I'll go with the Chargers minus five. Yeah, the the, the, the over under formula has a lot of counterintuitive results, but it's had really really good results this year. So you have you have to think counterintuitively for over unders because of the interaction of, of offense and defense in these games. Yeah, and pace. And pace. Yes. It incorporates both offense and defense, but it also incorporates pace for both teams, and then weather. And also, here's an interesting. Uh, even though it's going over in this game, division games uh -huh. on average have about 1.8 fewer points than other games. 
familiarity yeah interesting that's pretty it, wild. Uh, it does actually it is actually a thing it comes out as statistically significant neat very cool so, this has been inside the new over under formula now available on fo plus over under picks for every game absolutely uh let's uh quickly do your lock of the week Okay. Well, speaking of our FO picks, I wanted to highlight some of the things that are available there. And you're right. There are over-under picks right now. There are spread picks. And there are also just straight-up picks. And in the past, the straight-up picks are like, oh, oh, congratulations. Thank you for telling me the Bills can beat the Steelers. Um, that doesn't really help for gambling purposes. But I want to unlock the power of parlays. Okay. So we have a couple of things in there that look like parlays. One of them is the uh, is is the Panthers against the – who are the Panthers facing this week? Uh the Rams? So I think it's the Rams, yeah. Rams. I'm not touching that because I'm worried about a bounce when a team fires their head coach. Here's another one that looks great. The Buccaneers, straight-up pick. That should be pretty easy against the Steelers. But I'm taking the Buccaneers' money line and the over. Okay, our system likes the over. I think we were down 43.5 when I took it. And I'm getting plus 125 on that bet. So. It didn't happen play. against it didn't happen against Buffalo, uh-huh. but I believe in the rookie quarterback backdoor cover. Yes, it was that was messy last week. Yeah, <laughs> I, I do believe, and I think that that's that's where the over will come from. That the over will come from some Kenny Pickett fun in the fourth quarter when it doesn't matter anymore. When it doesn't matter, exactly right. And there's less just sort of weird penalties and things like that at the end of the game, and that's where we get both the over and the backdoor cover in that game. So, so you can hear it here first. Four quadrillion dollar pick of the lock of the yes. week. I'm I'm even for the year. If you're wondering, because I'm dead even for the year again. Last last week's crazy two dog tease. I was overthinking it a little bit. This is simple. Same game parlay. Money line over. Buccaneers go. All right, that does it for the show. Our week six preview with uh, Mike Kinnear. Hello, thank you for joining. As always, everybody who's watching and listening on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network again. A reminder, we are here at 1 o'clock Eastern every day. I believe the Friday show is returning tomorrow with Cale Clinton and Brian Knowles. Uh, 1 o'clock Eastern every day. Please come talk football with us every day. Please listen to the podcast and tell your friends about the podcast. Spread the word about the Football Outsiders Podcast Network. That does it for today. Mike will be back Monday. I will be back Tuesday. Everybody enjoy week six. Even Chicago, Washington. Even enjoy that one. Went slander. Nothing but went slander on the Discord tonight. And uh, we'll see you next week.